Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hith Liday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Badwater. How you doing? I survived the weekend. It was a an awful, horrible, not very good weekend, but yeah. Uh, I'm back. <laughs> back uh, you not... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Boy, I, 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 I grilled up a storm and drank a lot of beer. Um, I'm not sure what you did on Memorial Day. Um, uh, did your barbecue catch fire? <laughs> like, how did uh, you screw this up, man? Uh, no, I, uh, I manage a company, and so uh, one of my workers picked up COVID, and, yep, there's only me to bail things out. So, yeah. I was working a lot of hours on Friday and Saturday. Well, I, I generally say that, uh, you know, somebody who manages uh, uh, several direct reports myself, uh, you know, any any day you make it through in which you haven't killed any of your direct reports is generally a good day. But it sounds like you came pretty close, you know, or, or COVID did. Uh, yeah. Um. So uh, let's start talking about softball. Uh, they uh, the the end of the season uh, uh, came in Stillwater, uh, Oklahoma, to one of uh, sort of the royalty teams in softball, uh, the Oklahoma State Cowgirls. Um, we sort of knew this was going to happen. Uh, uh, you know, 
Oregon is simply not yet an elite team that's going to make it past, you know, one of those teams. We've been talking about that all season long. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like, you know, we're all pretty happy that they made it past, you know, Arkansas and uh, and really sort of like, you know, annihilated them. In fact, if you, you know, still if you still kept paying attention to softball after that point, you know, the SEC has uh, really sort of gotten humiliated, um, you know, in the in the softball tournament, you know, really looks like that was a, a badly overrated uh, conference and the Pac-12 was, uh, you know, badly underrated conference, including, you know, Utah, you know, a team that I was trying mm-hmm. to tell everybody all season long is like it's, it's underrated team, um, you know, and it sort of like takes the sting out of some of Oregon's conference losses um, because it's sort of like, yeah, man, like the teams that they lost to were really, really, really good. You know, not just like the, mm-hmm. you know, not just like they were better teams in the conference and why aren't they beating, you know, better teams in the conference, but like, yeah, it was like, you know, top 10 teams, you know, it's like, yeah, yep. man. Um, uh, uh, so, um, uh, uh, you know, and the other thing about, you know, you know, just sort of getting clobbered by Oklahoma State is that, you know, as I think we have talked about on this podcast, like, you know, Oregon is unlike certain other teams that you watch in softball that are sort of their elite in one thing and then they're sort of have vulnerabilities in other areas you know Oregon is more like it's a well-rounded team um and uh and so when they get beat by another team you know it's like they don't have like one thing where they can like claw their way into a game they just sort of get all around beat you know (laughs) and Oklahoma State just all around beat them you know it was just like wow you know, like, you know, I think the first game was eight to one. The second game's like nine to zero, you know, like, it's like, well, this isn't a whole lot of fun. Um, you know, did, did you have any, you know, before we get into the stats or anything, did you have any particular like takeaways from these games? Or did you have any sort of like different take on uh, on how Oregon performed against Oklahoma State in the Super Regionals? Not really. It's, um, it, I mean, uh Oklahoma's another uh, top 10 team. And, you know, we showed during the season that we're not up to that level yet. Um, uh, Unlike uh, last season, perhaps, you know, maybe we're squeezing out some wins from uh, the UCLA's and and, uh, whatnot in the Pac-12. But, um, but we're, we're, just clearly not a top 10 team. So, you know, it's, it's not a surprise at all. And, and I mean, it's just like, look, man, like there's just like, uh, you know, there's just a talent separation, like the, you know, the, and that's sort of just like, you know, that, that's what I got from while I was watching, you know, this, you know, the Oklahoma state team is just like the, you know, th- this pitcher is like impossible to hit. 
you know, mm-hmm. like, and then watching the second game, it was like, well, this pitcher's even more impossible to hit. Um, <laughs> and, and like, and meanwhile, like, you know, the Oklahoma State's bats were just sort of lighten up Oregon, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or they, you know, actually, Oregon's pitchers, like, were holding on for a while. Um, actually, I, I, I sort of want to withdraw that. Like, uh, I actually thought that Oregon State's pitchers, you know, generally held on for like, you know, I think in the first game that they, they held on to like the fifth inning, you know, before it exploded, you know, in the second game, I think it, you know, they held on to like the fourth inning and it was like sort of late in the fourth inning before it exploded. Like, uh, you know, it's not like, it, you know, it got like blown out of the park in the first inning or anything. Um, but it's like, you know, eventually, you know, it, it, when your arm starts to weaken even a little tiny bit, that's like all, you know, that's all, that the opponent needs at their talent level to like, to find it and blow you up. Um, and, uh, and just honestly, like when I say that, you know, that there's, you know, an elite team, you know, out there, or, or when I say that, like at the level of investment that Oregon is making into its softball team, and that that's going to mean that this doesn't happen, you know, overnight and that you're going to have to wait for like a, incremental improvement every year to like slowly build up you know what i really mean by that is that there's only so many of those super elite players going around and like they don't i'm they don't go to oregon right they they, you know they go to oklahoma state because why would you not go to one of the royalty programs you know like there's only there you know there there's only maybe 10 of them you know in the country and like, if you're, you know, one of the royalty players, you go to the one of the royalty programs. And if you're not one of those, and when you play them, it's sort of like, this is, you know, the separation is just too big. Yeah. And, and like the only, the, the, the only way you're going to start getting competitive with them is to be, you know, good enough for long enough that you start peeling them away. Um, uh, you, you know, and, and like Oregon's just not there yet. And, and maybe, and the only way that that's ever going to happen, like other than slowly building it up is to dump so much money into the coach the, or into the coaching staff that you can get one of those like rock star, you know, coaches that, that can mm-hmm. be like, Oh, Oregon's going to get one of those coaches. Well, I guess I'll go play for, for that coach, you know, but like, you know that you know that might move the needle. You know that yeah. That well, they they showed with uh, Mike White that they're not willing to do that. Yes, exactly. So, you so know that's like, that's off the table. Yeah, exactly. And as soon as you know, as soon as Oregon declared that that's off the table, then you know it's like, well, this is the result that you're gonna get. You know, like this is, the, uh, you know, uh, for you know, probably the next like three or four years, you know, like, uh, you know, and that what you need to ask for for the next three or four years is not beating the Oklahoma States. It's incremental improvement every year until, you know, Oregon starts beating the Washingtons and the Stanfords and the Utahs, you know, the teams that are like, you know, the, you know, 15 through five, you know, like those mm-hmm. types of teams, you know, so that Oregon basically makes a name for themselves so they can start peeling off this level of talent and that they have the weapons in order to compete, you know, at this level. Um, right. uh, and the, uh, you know, so, 
well, you know, so, so just to recapitulate, the fact that Oregon is not willing to spend the super big bucks on a rock star coach name means that they're not going to get the royalty talent in order to compete with other royalty talent. And it means you're just going to have to wait. You know, and what by waiting, I mean, is incremental year over year improvement. Um, And that's why you wrote the article that you did, uh, you know, this week uh, in which you examined, you know, hey, did version five, you know, improve over version four? And in summary, what did you find, Badwater? I found that we had... um good bats and good fielding last season, um, as we had talked about last season, um, and they were comparable this season. Um, as I discussed in my article, the, uh, the differences over the course of a season aren't really terribly significant. We're still talking the same quality offense. That it's the same offense that can uh, run rule. Uh, a lot of teams um, uh, put up double-digit numbers. Uh, the uh, offensive and fielding makeup is pretty much the same. Um, I thought it was interesting that uh, in the fielding, uh, this year, this season had a lot more errors. Than, well, a lot more plays that were recorded as errors. Yeah, we were talking a little off-air about that. I honestly don't, I'm not sure I agree with that because like errors is in the discretion of the scorekeeper. And I mean, I really didn't feel like Oregon was committing errors at any greater rate than they were in 2022. But yeah. Now the the fielding's uh, comparable. Uh, I thought it was just kind of an interesting uh, anomaly. It's, yeah, I, I wouldn't have expected called errors to uh, have increased because you know, the fielding kind of struck me pretty much the same as last season. Or Oregon has a good defense and they have good bats. And it would be... Uh, I mean, we can, certainly it, it's, on, we can certainly agree on, you know, the, the fielding is very good. You know, mm-hmm. like n- nobody was getting advantages on Oregon you know, by Oregon, like really screwing up their fielding, you know, nobody was getting advantages on Oregon in terms of like base running, you know, uh, or, you know, stealing a bunch of bases, you know, like Oregon's not an unathletic team, you know, on the field, like, you know, there, I'm sort of on record as being like, I, I think that fielding is like the least important of all the stats. Um, I mean, it's defense, not offense. And it, it's this, it's the less important of the two defensive stats, you know, whereas, you know, pitching is, is more primary than fielding because fielding, you know, you got to hit the ball before fielding is relevant, you know? Um, But like the fielding's very good. So like, I don't worry about it at all. Um, In terms of batting, you're right. Like statistically, it's not that much different. You know, it's what did you find? It's like point. It was in 2022, it was 0.296 average in 2023. It's like 0.306. So like, you know, a a little bit of improvement, although I did think there was an interesting threshold. Maybe it's an arbitrary threshold, but you found that there were four batters who were over 300 in 2022, and Mm -hmm. it was eight batters who were over 300 in 2023. 
like, mm-hmm. you know, double. Now, again, it's sort of an arbitrary threshold, but like I do, you know, I just sort of subjectively felt like it felt like more of the batting lineup was a, a, a threat to put the ball in play. Mm-hmm. Like, was that your yeah. impression too? Yeah. Yeah. As I, as I said in the article, um, there isn't a, enough variation in, in the numbers to make it uh, statistically meaningful. It, it Again, in, in my subjective uh, opinion as well. And uh, basically we had uh, a pretty good offense last season, pretty good offense this season. And um, that's, that's one of those things where uh, you know the offense is is adequate, so you can't uh, point at a um, particular stat or a particular position and say, "Oh yeah, this absolutely has to um, be upgraded." In yeah, order for, yeah, you for the you defense can't, to improve, that's not going to happen. You, you can't find a deficiency. You know, you can't find like anywhere where it's like, oh, my God, that's a that's a weakness where that's causing Oregon to lose games. You know, now, could it be better? Yes. You know, and, you know, when I say that the standard, you know, given the level of investment that Oregon makes in softball is incremental improvement every year, you know, okay, so they improved, you know, a, a, a hundredth of a point you know, okay, I expect another hundredth of a point, you know, I, I, I want to see like, you know, 0.31 or, so, you know, maybe 0.32, you know, next year, I, I would like to see, you know, the entire lineup, you know, hit over 300. I, I would really like to see, you know, the, 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 like, for example, the eight, nine, you know, in the lineup, not be the like, uh, oh, the pitcher is, has a little relief because they're late in the lineup. Like I, I would like every single gal in the lineup to to be like that, you know, the, the pitcher is just sweating. Um, uh, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. And, and fight off, fight off pitches because, um, you know, if you're doing that, you're increasing the pitch count, of course. And that is, um, kind of a, a small subset of what happened against Oklahoma state was, sure. uh, you know, they weren't throwing as many pitches. So, you know, they can spend a uh, uh, comparable uh, amount of extra innings out there with uh, without the same arm fatigue as as the Oregon pitchers. But when I say that Oregon's like a well-rounded team, I don't just mean like a quadrant analysis, you know, like batting, mm-hmm. base, running, pitching, fielding. I mean, like even within you know, like, like digging down into like offensive statistics within batting, you know, it's like, you can't find, you know, one weak batter, you know, in the lineup, you can't find, you know, one stat where it's like, oh, they hit the ball, but they're all singles and they never get doubles or triples or home runs, you know, nope, not the case. Or like they strand people on base all the time. Nope. You know, their RBIs are great. In fact, their RBIs improved versus 2022 or like their on base percentage is poor because they're never getting walks. Nope. Their walks were, you know, they, they were getting plenty of walks, you know, like, uh, you know, just across the board, like it's, it's, it's improvement, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's not a single stat of deficiency, you know, 
in the offense. Uh, it's, you know, just all around strong. Uh, which is good. It means that there's no, you know, is what I was talking about with Adam last week. Like I generally improve, uh, uh, prefer, uh, you know, for, for a team to be like, you know, an all around, you know, balanced team so that there's no way you can get attacked or neutralized. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that, that seems to describe, you know, this team, you know, n- not just in a general level or general way, but like even in specifics, like you can't find a single stat in which they're weak. And like, it seems to be the way that Melissa Lombardi is like instructing the team. And like, it seems to be what I expect, you know, for how the 2024 team, you know, will be constructed. They will be losing some players. You know, there's some seniors on this team, uh, you know, but given the way that she's constructed over the last five years, you know, it's what I expect for, uh, you know, for next year as well. Um, so then, you know, where there's real improvement, though, um, is the pitching staff. Yes. Yeah. Um, exactly as we talked about last season and this season, um, that the the pitching um, seemed better. Um, statistics bore that out. And um, the, the team ERA was significantly uh, lower this season. Um, yeah, so, well, you had a couple things, you know, happen. First of all, you know, uh, um, well, uh, la- for, first of all, why don't you recapitulate what happened in 2022 in terms of what Oregon's pitching situation was? Well, um, with Brooke Yanez out, um, the, the Ducks were really... Uh, struggling to find uh, the kind of pitcher that would uh, replace her. That wound up being Stevie Hansen. Um, and Stevie Hansen was, uh, you know, about, that was it. Yeah, uh, none of the other relievers could, were, were really it, it, adequate it enough to, to consistently go in and, relieve and keep leads uh, that kind of thing and, and, and the other problem was you know so well the and there's two other problems or issues as well which were breed love and clithermis mm-hmm. yep and um and so uh three of the pitchers you know jordan dale and clithermis and and Giannis, uh, transferred out, right. which w- wasn't ideal, but um, it set the stage for being able to bring in Morgan Scott. And um, Morgan Scott this season, especially since oh late March, early April, has been the uh, uh, support for pitching that Hansen did not have last season. Right. So you not only had, you know, I'm not to be perfectly honest. I'm never going to understand what happened with Megan Clithermis. Like, you know, I'm not really sure if she was sitting on an injury or she was mad or what, like I, you know, I don't get it. Um, but like, yeah, it was really sort of the case that C.D. Hansen, sort of as a true freshman, was like the only pitcher that Oregon had. And like, I thought that she was pitching really well, but there was definitely a sense that like when her pitch would start to get away from her, she couldn't get pulled in certain games. And so like her ERA was sort of artificially inflated. 
you know, so she finished the the 2022 season with a 3.27 ERA, which I sort of felt was like unfair to her. Like, I don't I don't feel like that that ERA really like captured how good she was really pitching or how good she would have been if she were, you know, pulled at an appropriate time. You know, I probably think she would have finished like under three um, hit uh, uh, had that been the case. Yeah, and certainly if uh, Brooke was in the lineup um, last year, uh, I think Hanson's ERA would have been lower as well. Yeah, um, being being this support for um, what would have been Oregon's ace last year. And then, you know, Reagan Breedlove um, was – well, for a variety of reasons, she was simply not really ready to pitch last year. You know, her ERA was terrible. Um, uh, you know, she's like, what did you find? Like 6.27? Yeah, 6.27 over uh, 25 innings. Yeah, which is not, I mean, it's like a fifth of the amount of innings that Hansen pitched. And so in the cumulative, you know, in, in the combined, like, you know, the, the the way that the, the the combined ERA works is it's per you know total innings pitched you know it's not the at you know you take all the the pitchers and you treat them as though they're equal so you know it doesn't inflate the 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 ERA that much but it still should be you know stated like hey you know Breedlove really improved you know she went from a six point two seven ERA over twenty five you know innings pitched to a two point eight one you know over uh how many innings did she pitch this year um that was sixty seven innings yeah so like you know c- close close to three times you know as many innings pitched and you know like three times better of a, a of a uh or, or you know twice as good more than more than twice as good of an ERA uh, almost you know close on to about two and a half times as good uh, of an ERA so like yeah you know that she becomes you know way more valuable way 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 more valuable to the bullpen like as valuable as Hansen and Scott no um, and is this going to be an elite bullpen until you know they have three you know top quality pitchers no you know you, you could actually make an argument that the you know I, in fact you know, I will go just go ahead and make the argument that, you know, the probably the, the number one thing holding back Oregon from being a top quality team is the fact that, you know, their third pitcher was not, you know, somebody that they could put in and rely on as much as, you know, Scott and Hanson. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, don't let that fact take away from the fact that um, that Breedlove, you know, really substantially improved. Um, yeah, yeah, she she improved significantly, and unlike last season, this season, you know, against uh, against the opponents that um, Lombardi you know, chose to start her against, or you know, bring in for relief, you didn't have the automatic sigh of, oh, well, here we go, there goes yeah. the game, yeah. It, she didn't really have those moments. Yeah, you know, her her pitching looked a lot more solid this this season. So Hanson's ERA comes down to two point six three, which I, I still believe, just as a subjective matter, just from watching her pitch, I like. Th- boy, this is going to be an elliptical argument. Like, buckle up, this is going to be tough. 
Um, <laughs> I don't think that Hansen was as good in 2023 as she was in 2022, which is, I know, crazy to say because her ERA came down, um, came down pretty substantially. Uh, but remember, I did just finish saying that I thought that her ERA was sort of artificially inflated in 2022. Um, and in mm-hmm. 2023, like her ERA was 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 as it should have been like two, six, three is an accurate reflection of what her pitching performance was in 2023. In 2022, I feel like an accurate reflection of what her, uh, of what her pitching performance would have been if she had the support around her. So she would have been pulled at an appropriate moment would have been more like 2.4. Like, I feel like, and I mean, mm-hmm. boy, this is going to be really difficult for me to quantify. I mean, I suppose if I really <laughs> dove into the numbers and and said like this, this is, you know, if I went through like every game in 2022 and said, this is the point where she should have been pulled and then calculated her, you know, earned run at that point, you know, versus innings pitched, I could calculate from scratch, you know, what her should have been ERA would have been, um, uh, but I'm just going to short circuit all of that and tell you what my gut says. It's going to be, boy, this is like everything I've ever hated. You know, this is like, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, um, okay. Uh, being everything I've ever hated and just stating that I my gut says her should have been ERA was something more like 2.4 in 2022. Um, and and so it was slightly worse in 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 2023 at 2.63. So I would like to see her get back to what I think, you know, I would like to see her improve um, in 2024. You know, I would like to see her get back to what I feel like she ought to be at, which is more like a 2.4 pitcher. Um, I believe that Morgan Scott still has a year of eligibility left because I think if my, if I'm reading the NCAA um, COVID, uh, eligibility holiday rules correctly. I believe her 2020 season didn't count. Um, and right. so and she's, she's a four year senior. So, right. So just the, her 2021, 2022, and then this season, 2023 counted. So therefore she should still have her 2024 season. I mean, I think she has to make a decision about going pro or not, although I'm not sure what, how the deadline for that works, but like, she should still have a year left, which means, you know, I believe that Oregon's going to have all three of these pitchers coming back. Um, I'd like to see them, you know, check out the portal and see if they can get another pitcher. Um, yeah. You know, I, I you know, because I, I really don't feel like Benning, you know. Yes, I mean, they technically have a fourth p- pitcher, which is Benning, but like, I don't really, you know, I don't really think she counts uh, as, as you know, what they need in, in terms of like becoming an elite bullpen. Um you know, uh, you know, let, let's say that Breedlove's ERA comes down a little bit. Let's say that Hanson's ERA comes down a little bit. Uh, it's hard to imagine that, that Scott gets any better. I feel like we've seen, you know, what we're going to see out of her. Um, I, I, I'd like to, you know, I would like to have an insurance, you know, fourth member of the bullpen as, you know, who's, who's maybe not like a, you know, an elite, you know, 2.4 pitcher, but is maybe more like a, you know, a 2.8, you know, pitcher who's just a like, 
who's just an insurance like somebody's having an off night but you got to play because because you play three game series you know what i mean like and because you're playing three game series like if somebody's having an off night like you know uh uh Oh boy, you know, rather than screwing up my pitching lineup for the rest of the weekend, you know, put in the reliever. Uh, you know, that's yeah. what I would like to yeah, see. Yeah, give the starter a rest. Um, but those are, you know, but overall, you know, what I think you found in your article was that like, you know, box, you know, in case, in case advancing out of the regionals and clobbering the number 11 team in the country, you know, didn't count as incremental improvement for you statistically, you know, it was clear incremental, incremental improvement, you know, in the batting performance, um, you know, slight, but real, uh, and definite, you know, in the bullpen, which is all we were talking about last year. So like mm-hmm. box checked, man, you know, did they win, you know, the women's, you know, college world series? No. And if that's what your standard is for, you know, whether or not most Lombardi is retained, uh, then I guess, you know, you should get on your soapbox and demand that you be fired. Um, I don't think that's a realistic stance given the amount of money that Oregon's putting into softball. Um, so, uh, no, and I, I think there's, there's uh, been some version by version uh, improvement. It's going to be incremental, and that's all you, uh, you can ask for. You know, I think uh, given the way that the season ended with a series sweep and then an immediate bow out uh, in the Pac-12 tournament, um, and making it to the Super Regional is great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You got you got shellacked by number sixteen, but you were there. Yeah. All right. Let's take a break. Uh, we come back. We'll talk some baseball. So, uh, Oregon's baseball school now, huh? <laughs> that was a is a revelation that during the Pac-12 tournament that um, Oregon has a bullpen. I it, still don't it, buy it. I don't think. They, <laughs> I mean, just uh, what what the bullpen was uh, able to do was just nothing short of jaw dropping. I uh, I never would have expected to see that. And so, uh, what kind of pitching we have going forward in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, it's it's uh, up for grabs. It's uh, Oregon pitching has not been terribly consistent so um it it wouldn't surprise me if if things were completely different with the pitching going into the ncaa's on on the other hand yeah maybe they've figured some stuff out and you know can continue the postseason run uh I don't buy it. I'm sorry. Like, I don't think, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 okay. I mean, look, man, uh, Cal was a bad hitting team. Uh, got, you know, w- what, in my opinion, what happened was that all four of Oregon's opponents in the PAC 12 tournament simply couldn't turn their very plentiful hits, um, into runs. Um, because, 
uh, you know, one of the things that we talk about on both the baseball team and the softball team is that, you know, Oregon does have a pretty decided base running advantage in terms of they're very active in stealing bases. Um, they're very aggressive, in, you know, in running bases and they, you know, they turn singles uh, into doubles. They, you know, they manufacture runs uh, and other teams are not nearly as good um, at these things. And so, you know, the, and those teams, you know, wound up, you know, stranding, stranding a bunch of uh, folks on first base um, that in Oregon doesn't do those things. Um, and, you know, they learned, you know, what happens when you don't do that. Cal, not a good hitting team, uh, you know, put up six hits, uh, but they only got two runs out of it. Stanford mm-hmm. uh, put up uh, 12 hits. They get six runs out of it. Um, they clobbered Oregon in the first and second inning. Um, and then they just sort of went cold, you know, for the rest of uh, 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 the game in terms of runs, but they were still getting hits. In fact, they got a hit in, I believe, every inning um, except for the, the, the final inning, um, which was the 10th, um, right. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Washington, uh, got 12 hits and got seven runs out of it. Oregon just had to like, just straight up out bat them. You definitely can't convince me that the bullpen showed up in that game. Um, mm-hmm. and then Arizona, that game was weird because everybody was expecting such a total slugfest in that game. Cause like Arizona's bats were super hot and like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that game, it was definitely a bit of a, of a pitching duel, but it was still like 10 hits you know just like arizona only put together like four runs off of them like i still think you know it's just like they're not you know like uh, oregon was just like more consistently like turning hits into runs than their opponents were um now is Oregon's bullpen absolute complete garbage you know without uh, aeon and uh Stofall? no like I do think that their you know bullpen's gotten you know probably you know a little bit better over the course of the year um I do think that you know one of the things that we've talked about over the course of the season that you know the fact that they are just willing to like pull pitchers and have them pitch for only like one inning um you know the, the in other words that the bullpen is enormous um <laughs> You know, that's definitely what I saw more than anything else was the enormous bullpen, you know, not good bullpen, enormous bullpen Um, here. Let me recite over four games. Let me recite uh, who pitched Uh, Grayson (laughs) Grinzel, Dylan McShane, Austin Anderson, Matt Dallas, Loden Mercado, Josh Merleris. That was one game. Here's who pitched against Stanford. Uh, uh, Turner Spajaric, Logan Mercado, Austin Anderson, Dylan McShane, Josh Malaris. Who's who pitched against Washington? Uh, 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 Matthew Grabman, Ian Umlaut, uh, Umlant, uh, Dylan McShane, Grayson Grinsel, Matt Dallas. Who's who, here's who pitched against uh, Arizona? Turner Spajaric, uh, Austin uh, Anderson, Matt Dallas. You know, it's like is bonkers. You know, Oregon just like kept throwing pitchers at the problem, you know, uh, like, like that's like when you say Oregon has a fantastic bullpen, it's like saying that like, you know, the buffet ought to have a four star rating because it has the most food. Like, uh, Uh, I think, I think the size of the bullpen allowed them to do some, um, situational, pitching you know um sure yeah did make decisions on whether they want a righty or lefty uh on the mound and sure. and who who to do that uh against and that 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 probably factors into some of the numbers even though um there isn't really any one reliever that is super outstanding 
I will say though, you know, my, my, you know, one, one of the other things is my concern that like maybe the bats aren't real. Like, I don't know. I go keep going back and forth on it, you know, like, but, uh, uh, Oregon hit, you know, 11 hits against Cal, uh, 13 hits against Stanford, uh, 20 hits against Washington, 10 hits against Arizona. Like, okay. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I still have yeah. concerns about the, the bullpen, but if you're going to hit double digit hits in every single game against good teams, you know, that are advancing through the tournament, like including the number one team and the number three team and the team that beat everybody and was the darling of the tournament in the finals. Like, mm. yeah, okay. Yeah, man. I'm done with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we'll find out. Um, um, let's see. Um, Oregon's uh, playing Xavier next. Is that right? Yeah, or- that is correct. In Nash, the, they go to the Nashville Regional, hosted by uh, Vanderbilt. But their first game is against Xavier, which is interesting because that was their first series um, of the year. Uh, they hosted uh, Xavier, you know, four games, and they swept them. Um, uh, in fact, uh, in, in fact, they uh, the. Uh, uh, you know, and it wasn't even close, you know, like I think the combined score was something like, uh, you know, uh, uh, 20 to, to 11 or something like that, you know, like, um, y- you know, so I'm, I'm expecting a win in the first game. Um, yeah. You know, Vanderbilt will almost certainly beat Eastern Illinois. And as we know from the way that a double um, elimination tournament is structured, like, you know, that 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 first game against, you know, against the, the tournament host is like absolutely essential, you know, to win that game because it means that you get to rest while they have to, you know, go battle themselves back in. So, like, right. you know, I you know, I really want to see good bullpen management like I really want to see, you know, the bats, uh, you know, come alive like, you know, that is not a good game for the bats to go cold. Um and like that's the thing about a team that's got really live bats, man, is that you are never out of the game. Like mm-hmm. you can, you know, you know, it, it's the ninth. You should watch till the ninth through all the way through to the ninth inning, you know, because like entirely possible that you know Oregon just blasts their way to a win. I mean, hell, it's what they did against Stanford. Yep, yeah. I think they did it uh, earlier in the year as well, um, yeah. and yeah. It's like you say, if you're making contact, um, some of those can turn into runs. And All right. They'll need that. Let's take a break. Uh, we come back. We'll talk some football. So uh, my Pac-12 preview series rolls on. This week I wrote about uh, the Washington Huskies. Um, uh, uh, it is always interesting to write about Washington. Um, they, uh, uh, you know, they just had an absolute buzzsaw of an offense, you know, last year, which was something that I, you know, when I wrote them up last year, I predicted, you know, a lot of people, you know, you know, didn't really believe me because they're, you know, they were coming off a 2021 season in which they were like four and eight, you know, and, and, uh, you know, their offense was, you know, really anemic. And I was like, listen, man, I've been watching Kalen DeBoer for a long time now, you know, cause he was the Fresno state coach, you know, and, uh, and, uh, uh, and Oregon opened with Fresno state. So like I had done a bunch of homework on him and, uh, and I was like, well, I really like this offense. Um, 
and uh and and then it was like you know who, who are they going to get for their quarterback well their best option is probably probably michael Penix, but you know assuming that he can stay healthy and like everybody's sort of forgotten about this now but like he had this horrible injury history where it's like he had like both of his shoulders and one of his knees would explode um you know like every different year and uh and so like the fact that he stayed healthy this entire year is sort of a minor miracle and like good, you know, like I, I know he's a Husky and I'm supposed to hate him or something, but like, not good. That's it's really, I'm really glad for him. You know, he deserved, um, you know, a healthy season and, and for all the accolades that he got. Um, it's a, you know, to- total volume passing offense. Like, Hey, I just, you know, made a funny about like, you know, it's, it, you know, for, for everybody who's like, Oh, Michael Penix deserves the Heisman. Like, you know, th- that buffet line that I just made about, uh, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's like, you know, the offense is, it's not a particularly elegant, you know, like, you know, I, I get a lot of requests from film from the, uh, for, I, I, I am a member of the film study community. It's not a particularly huge community, but we all trade film and we trade film about like the most interesting, you know, film to study. Like people see a little bit of it and they're like, hey, do you have the rest of this that I could take a look at? And like, you know, Chip Kelly is a perennial, right? And people want to take a look at Lincoln Riley's film. Um, I get very few requests for DeBoer's film because it's just not you know particularly interesting it's like the same like three or four runaway routes and like deep crosser routes um it's you know it's difficult to to defend but it's like very well understood um and you know it's just not very elegant they just sort of like they they, the secret to it is that they just they treat first and ten like third and ten and they treat third and ten like first and ten you know meaning that like they're not they don't care what down it is like they're just going to chuck it um, mm-hmm. um, unless it's like short yardage. And that's when they bring out the, you know, the running back um, to convert like the short, you know, the, you know, second and one. Okay. Fine. We'll run the ball. Um, and, and, uh, and, you know, but otherwise, you know, the throwing it, you know, like at a three to one basis. Um, and, uh, and they, you know, they've got a couple of really fantastic, you know, uh, wide receivers. And it's just like, yeah, it's basically impossible to, to defend within the twenties. The thing that I, you know, was really interesting diving into it, um, you know, further was that they do sort of have a red zone problem. I mean, it's not a huge problem. They, they ranked like 43rd in um, red zone touchdown conversion rate, but like considering they ranked second in total offense, you know, that is a pretty big fall off. Mm-hmm. And it's like it, it, the it's it's very clear why that is it's because the, you know it's structural it's the the structure that our offense simply doesn't work in the red zone because of the way that the defense compresses you know sort of like you can't run deep you know you know crosser routes deep over the middle when you don't have deep you know there is no deep in the red zone right and you can't run runaway routes you know off to the you know uh you know to the outside you know because the 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 field is compressed um like none of their wide receiver routes that they typically like like you know you can run sort of corner fades but that's not really part of this offense and frankly it's not really part of panix's skill set um mm-hmm. you know uh uh what you know that there's you know um, this is a bit of an oversimplification but teams that are really good in the red zone the stuff that they're able to do is 
you know, a certain set of plays that aren't really in this playbook. Number one, number two is pounding the ball between the tackles, which is not something that they're really capable of doing or interested in doing. There's, I'm, I'm not really sure, but like it either at any rate, they weren't doing it. Um, and, uh, or, uh, at the very least creating the threat of being able to do that sort of opens you up to do some creative things, you know, like the sort of, um, oh hell, I'll just say it like Kenny Dillingham and other, you know, like Oregon coaches that we see, you know, the hell like Marcus Arroyo was doing creative stuff in the red zone, like red zone play calling is difficult. You have to mm-hmm. do different things in the red zone to score because of the defensive compression issue. And, and when I see offenses that are like buzzsaws between the twenties, but then they're like, but how do you score in the red zone? I'm sort of like, I kind of get a little like, well, yeah, like it gets harder there. You need to do different things, you know? And they're, when they get like confused about that, I'm just like, yeah, well, this is where you earn your paycheck, dude. Like, um, and uh and so one of the things that you do in order to open up those more creative plays like off the wings um is you need to be able to pound the ball up the middle you either by just scoring by running four times like your michigan or something um or uh although michigan screwed that up in against TCU. <laughs> i don't know why i picked them as an example because they screwed it up anyway like but at the very least, establishing that as a credible threat causes the defense to have to move, you know, backers in uh, uh, to prevent that threat. And that, like, opens up the defense in, in, um, in order for, you know, so that the offense can do, like, more creative things off of the wings. And the fact that, like, Washington was not a credible threat in order to do that meant the defenses could shut down the, some of the more creative stuff that they may have wanted to do. Um and then the other thing that you can do is throw the ball to the to like a, a, a tall, undefendable tight end because like height mismatches can like neutralize that um, that defensive compression advantage. Um, but like and so that sort of like leads me into the thing that I really wanted to talk about Washington, which is that like I was surprised, although maybe not that surprised um, at how like conservative and non-aggressive of a roster management like that when i when i broke down like what they were doing in terms of roster management which is of course the point of this whole project Mm -hmm. it just wasn't very aggressive um and like we'll talk about the defense in a second where it's like very very clear that they were not aggressive at all and that was a big huge mistake um but like even on the offense which you might be saying to yourself, you know, Hith, why are you even bothering talking? This was like the number eight rated offense in the country. You know what? They don't need to improve at all. And I'm like, they do actually, they did leave some points on the board, man. You know, like I calculated out, for example, their, um, their full field touchdown, you know, like their drive efficiency rate, their full field touchdown rate. And it only came out to, I think like 44 and a half percent. Meaning like, if you look at their, their total number of meaningful full field possessions, so meaningful, uh, that is excluding garbage time and excluding the FCS game and full field, meaning excluding uh, short field, you know, possessions, you know, off of turnovers or special teams, heroics or, or whatever, um, you know, so, so drives in which they start, you know, on their own 40 yard line or more. So they have to actually drive the whole field. Um, they had, I believe, like 81 
of those, they only got touchdowns on 36 of them. You know, they wound up, you know, a few of them are punts, but most of them, they sort of get to the, the, or many of them anyway, they wind up getting down to the red zone and then kicking a field goal. Because you can't really stop them between the 20s, but then they get to the red zone and they stall out and they kick a field goal. And for a whole lot of the defenses that they played, that was their strategy, you know. Um, it was Oregon strategy. Hell, it was even Stanford strategy, and, and Stanford was employing like Lance Anderson, who's kind of brain dead. Um, uh, uh, I mean, Stanford. I mean, it was like nine. Like the, they had like nine meaningful possessions against Stanford, um, or full field possessions, and they only got like one uh, uh, touchdown out of it, or, or something along those lines. They probably looked that oh. up. Um, I mean, it was just like crazy, man. Like, uh, uh, like some of these games, like how bad it was. I mean, a lot of it is because sometimes they would get short fields. And so like, it's like some of these that I might quote, you know, uh, uh, or it was was five to one. They had five full field possessions against Stanford and only got a touchdown on one of them. Now they got some short field possessions, which is why, you know, that sort of score, you know, was, was a bit lopsided, but like still, man, like when you had you know, five full field possessions and only got a touchdown on one of them against Stanford's defense, which had like one of the worst defenses in the country. Like, holy cow, man. Um, or Oregon State, you know, you know, that one uh, will be more obvious. You know, they had eight uh, and they only scored two touchdowns um, against Cal. Right. Not great team. Cal, right. Eight full field possessions, only three touchdowns against Cal. Right. Like that was a total struggle fest against Cal. Right. Remember that? If anybody remembers that game. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, were, you, were you surprised um, then that Washington finished up with 11 wins? No, I mean, no, not really. It was a very soft schedule. Um, and then, you know, Oregon probably should have beat them because they pursued exactly this strategy. Um, but then Bo Nix got hurt and there's some, you know, some some unfortunate stuff at the end of that game. But I mean, Oregon probably should have won that game by 10 points. Um and, uh, you know, Oregon State probably should have beat him. I think that Jonathan Smith probably mismanaged, you know, some of that probably should have kicked some field goals. Um, uh, so, like, I, you know, in between that schedule and, you know, a couple of lucky things, you know, I think that probably Washington had a couple of more like if you look at their. Um, post-game win expectancy was a little, you know, they finished a little higher than they probably should have. Um, and if they played like a little tougher schedule, you know, it probably would have been um, a little rougher, you know, sledding for them. But it, it, when they graded it, but you know what it wins, you know, I know this is going to sound like a little crazy to say wins are not a good measure of how good a team is. Um when I say, you know, they graded out as the, the in F plus, you know, advanced statistics, the the eighth best offense, it's because they were the eighth best offense like that's yeah, they were. Um, now, when I say that they had, you know, they were sort of mediocre in the red zone, it's because, yeah, they were. And when I say that, you know, their, their full field touchdown drive percentage is not that high, it's because, yeah, it wasn't. Um, and the point that I wanted to make is because if this were really an aggressive um, roster managing team and this were really a team that was analytically driven and like we're trying to figure out like how why were we leaving as many points on the board as we were and how can we address that to get even better than we were last year what they probably would have um, found and tried to address was their tight end room because that's the most obvious area where you can remain a passing offense 
and you can just chuck it to tight ends, right? Just lob it up to tight ends, right? And the reason that I know that Washington knows they can do that is because Kalen DeBoer, when he had to come in and watch previous Washington film, because you have to do that as a new coach to figure out what kind of players you have, he had to have watched Kate Otten for for all those years because he was their great tight end um, touchdown scorer for four years from 2018 to 2021, right? Mm -hmm. And then Kate Otten goes off to the NFL. And they don't have any other Kate Ottens on the roster. I mean, they have his little brother, Ryan, who was a, a, a true freshman last year. Although I was very curious that he didn't play. I sort of wonder about that kid. Um, but like they have a walk on Jared Westover who ain't going to be it. And they have, but who's their leading, you know, pass catcher is a tight end um, because the rest of their tight ends just aren't very good. Like, you know, and they're just not that guy. And what they should have done was go out and get one, maybe two, you know, tight ends in the portal um, that they can throw touchdown passes to. Um, mm-hmm. to solve this problem for them so they can, you know, so that they can quit leaving so many points on the table. Um, but they didn't. And it's evidence that they're not a very aggressive roster management team. And it's a, evidence that they're not a very analytically driven team. And, and so having, you know, said all that now, let's talk about the defense. Oh my God. You know, like this team really, 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 I mean, this was the 70th rated defense in F plus it was just bad and the way and it's bad up and down the board because there's just total talent problems which are not I mean they inherited a bad roster from Jimmy Lake and frankly from the end of the Chris Peterson era in which I think they got a little lazy um um so in that sense it's not totally Kalen DeBoer's fault but the way that he reacted to being the 70th rated defense he treated as though he was a top 10 defense and that all he needed to do was put a little you know just a little you know a little daub of paint here a little spackle there and we're fine you know it's just like Mm -hmm. oh we lost one dude here and one dude here because it's not like they had anybody drafted you know, we just need to, you know, we lost a dude here. Well, we'll just replace him with this one portal guy here. Uh, we lost one guy there. Okay. One portal dude here. Okay. We're done. That's it. You know, like they needed to completely overhaul the defensive roster. Right. So like the, I give him credit or, or like I give him a mulligan for having inherited a terrible roster from Jimmy Lake. And like, and, and you know, when you're, when you're taking over, you don't really have enough time to remake it for your first year, but this was the time, you know, like, and, and given that the NCAA has lifted the, um, the lifted the, uh, the the initial counter cap, you know this was the time to do it, and he just didn't. He didn't overhaul the roster at all. And what he should have done was what all these other aggressive roster managers in the South, you know, have been doing. And it's just like keep the like handful because there there are there's some good guys, Latuli and Gasanoa, the defensive tackle, and like Trice and Tupelo Fatui. Um, at the ends and like I think they have like a halfway decent linebacker or two they could keep them you know maybe you know don't totally gut the the defensive back room I guess like you don't want to like totally gut your room but like you know keep keep like one or two guys at each position but otherwise like just clear out these these guys like they were on the 70th rated defense just get rid of them um and, uh, and and just like go hard at, you know, getting new guys or at the very least, like clear out your bench warmers, who you know, aren't going to play, which let me tell you, there's lots of them and go get portal guys because like you, they're at the very least replacement value guys are better than these dudes. Um, 
and they just didn't. They, you know, like I said, this was a 70th rated defense that he treated as though it was a 10th rated defense. And it's just like, you know, everything I said about like the tight end room is like, you know, 10 times more true about the defense. It's just like, oh boy. And then here's the last thing about roster management is sort of the, this doesn't really go towards 2023 success. And that, you know, is really all I'm concerned with in writing the article because, you know, it's just about predicting the upcoming season. But the elephant in the room for Washington is that, you know, all of their 2022 success and all of their predicted 2023 success comes from basically three dudes. It's Penix and McMillan and Odunze. And those guys aren't sticking around, you know, in 2024. Those guys are all off to the NFL. And, you know, it's not like they're totally bereft of wide receivers behind them. They have like one or two other guys, but like, that's not enough, you know, and like you and the quarterback room, I mean, is empty. They have like one backup quarterback, you know, Morris, you know, who ain't Michael Penix. They have one, uh, a uh, 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 freshman quarterback who doesn't even arrive until the fall. Like this was the time when they should have taken in the quarterback room, they should have taken like a mid-career portal quarterback to start getting him acclimated to the system. Because like Michael Penix, you can't just randomly pull a quarterback out of the portal and expect him to be another Michael Penix. Remember, Michael Penix worked with Kalen DeBoer at Indiana, right? Mm -hmm. Like that was a pre-existing relationship and a, a pre, you know, like acclimation of his system. He should have started that in 2023 with another portal guy. And at the very least started building up more substantial quarterback depth so that he could have multiple dudes to, to pick from for 2024. And same thing for the wide receiver. He's going to, you know, wind up losing McMillan and Odunze um, uh, uh, for next season. And you know, he's going to, I believe, only have like one blue chip uh, or no, he's going to have three blue chips, but only one of them are going to have any experience because the other two are going to be redshirt freshmen who aren't going to play because, you know, McMillan and Odunze and the other guys who are ahead of him. Um, so, like, he should have been taking some portal guys, you know, and, and getting them, you know, acclimated. He should have been taking more a bigger freshman class because, like, all this offense has is wide receivers. Like, you know, he should have been making a lot more aggressive roster management moves to start getting ready for the 2024 season. Um and like, and it's, you know, already people have observed that just like the general talent level is falling off here because like compared to what the Peterson era was recruiting, you know, from, you know, like about 2018 through 2020, it was like they were consistently getting like, you know, top you know, 15 to top 20 classes. And like, these guys aren't, you know, the, the, you know, Lake obviously fall, fell off, but then like DeBoer hasn't been recruiting at a high level. You know, they've been making the same excuses that Jimmy Lake was making, which is like, well, we got to win first before we recruit. Well, they won and then they didn't go recruit, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. it's like, well, you're not recruiting and you're not aggressively getting, you're really getting dudes out of the portal and you're not clearing out your bench warmers and taking advantage of the roster, uh, the, 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 the uh, initial counter cap being lifted. And it's like, so I've already listed in terms of the tight end room and the defense, you know, ways in which that lack of aggression is going to probably hurt them in 2023 vis-a-vis -vis what they could be. Um, and like 2024 is when the shoe is really going to drop. And this is the time when they could have been, addressing those problems and they chose not to and it's like 
like I always right. say, when we're talking about other teams, we're really talking about Oregon. And yep. Dan Lanning doesn't let these sorts of things creep up on him. Now, you talk about in your uh, Huskies preview um, about the uh, depth issues on defense. Yeah. Um, it, are they, is the defense, um, you know, like uh, three or four or five untimely injuries away from um, really having some serious problems? Or is that kind of a, a hyperbolic if, take on? If everybody I mean, is healthy, they have serious problems. They were the <laughs> 70th, look, they were the 70th rate ranked defense last year, and they did not overhaul any of these units. Like, the most that they did was like, you know, they they replaced, you know, they, they followed this sort of like robotic, um, you know, we lost one dude, we replaced that dude. And even then they didn't quite keep up They're they're They've net lost production. Um, they, you know, they net lost production at defensive end, for example. So I think that they're going to have a, a rotational problem, even though I think they returned to pretty good ends in Trice and Tupelo of Fatui, they lose more than they gain. The only guy that they brought in is a division two transfer who I'm not even sure is an end. They were using him as a, um, interior like more like a tackle on um on on read my article i explain the whole thing i don't i'm not convinced he's a, he's an end um like you know and, and you know uh, you know down down the roster they lost two linebackers cam bright and christopher mall they only brought one in through the portal and go forth and from usc and he sucks i mean he sucks out loud um <laughs> Uh, uh, they, they shuffled around the defensive backs. Like they, they got one of the cornerbacks to switch over to the Husky position. Who's like their nickel back. And one of the, 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 and one of the nickel backs is switching over to deep safety, um, to replace, you know, a guy that they, they lost, um, you know, uh, they, they brought in one, you know, cornerback, but they, they lost another, like it's a net loss of one is what I'm trying to say here. Like they lost, um, there's there there there's two guys out, but they only brought one guy in. Um, in terms of the portal, uh, that you know they 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 or and arguably three. You know they they lost Alex Cook and Jordan Perryman and maybe a third guy in Davon Banks. Um, uh, I'm not sure what his status of the team is, and they only brought in basically one dude. Um, through the portal, who's Jabbar Muhammad. Um, and then another dude who's uh, Darren Barkins. You know from Oregon, although I'm not really sure if he's going to be able to play. Like he was buried in the depth chart for. Oregon. Um, but maybe but even if both of those guys are active, if I'm right about Davon Banks not being on the team, then that's still like, you know, l- losing three and bringing in two, you know, which means like throughout the defense, they're behind, like they're losing production, you know, uh, off of a bad defense, which means like, you know, so to answer your question, like, yeah, they've got depth problems and some injuries, you know, would be pretty bad for them. But even if they stay perfectly healthy, it was a bad defense last year. What they should have done was overhauled this, you know, and, and you know, and gone out and got gotten some some you know more significant you know some, some some talent or at least some replacement level players because like a lot of these guys on on the roster were not replacement level. That's you know that's why they ranked seventieth. Um, 
and they didn't do that. Like I said, they treated the, their roster management moves were as though it were a top 10 defense that just, they needed to, you know, spackle over a couple of dings. Um, and, and I mean, they didn't even do that right. Like, I mean, it's just crazy how blase they were about the improvements that they needed to make, um, on defense. Like they really treated this like they the, like this was a good defense. Like like that's what. Like if I didn't know it was a bad defense, like if all I did was looked at the roster, like if all I had was my roster sheet to go by, I would and and you told me that this was a brilliant staff, I would think, oh, this must have been a top ten defense. You know, and then if you would tell me like, oh, actually, they rated number 70, you know, an F plus, I'd be like, well, then this staff should be fired for these roster management moves on defense or these, you know, failure to make roster management moves. Just wait until after they play Oregon. Yeah. And then fire yeah. Them. All right. <laughs> I think that should probably do it for this week. I've gone long enough here. Uh, you got any parting words of wisdom for us? No, it's uh, go Ducks because... Uh, we still have a baseball team in the thick of it. And then after their run, there's going to be a lot of thumb twiddling mm. uh, between now and August. Not for me. I got plenty of football to write uh, uh, about. Uh, uh, and uh, <laughs> well, at any rate, uh, the, the, the weather will be nice. We'll be, we'll be able to talk about track. I'm sure you'll have uh, plenty of uh, soccer previews to write or something along those lines. Yeah, something. Uh, come up with something. Well, uh, so better use for my fingers. Enjoy the sunshine while you can, but it <laughs> never rains on this podcast. <laughs>